and welcome to episode 10 of the Stranger Times podcast. I'm CK McDonnell and I have retaken control of the ship after the Christmas hijacking carried out by the nefarious yet fabulous Jonathan Mayer. I wish to disown everything he said and that monstrous story that I allegedly wrote. I do hope the naughty man didn't ruin anybody's Christmas. I would also like to officially, on behalf of the massive faceless machine behind this podcast, wish you all a happy and healthy new year. As we've reached 2021, I feel I should do my review of 2020, which I shall do through the medium of noise. La 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 la. What? What? Wait, what? Ah! Ooh! Ah! 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 Make it stop! Oh god! Oh god! Ooh, banana bread! Ah! 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 And scene. Oh wait, hang on, I missed a bit. Ah! Done. There we go. Finished. And now 2021 flops before us, laden with promise, and despite a rather lockdowny beginning, I am confident that it will be filled with wonderful things. Like, for example, and I know what you're thinking, and yes, yes I am, I'm going to do it. I'm not even embarrassed. I'm doing it. I'm doing the shameless plug. That's right. Coming out next week, it's the Stranger Times novel, the novel that inspired this very podcast that is in your ears right now. It is out next week. Or if you listen to this next week, it is out this week. Or if you listen to this uh, at some point beyond that in the future, it is out now. It will continue to be out. Or if you listen to this several years in the past, firstly, well done. Secondly, word of advice, buy shares and hand sanitizers. Don't ask why, just do it. So yes, I'm launching a book when every bookshop in the country is closed down. That's like trying to date when you're one of those farmers that lives alone on a deserted island up in the Scottish Highlands with nothing but 400 sheep per company. What I'm saying is, you can do it, but for moral reasons, you have to do it online. Luckily, as well as the almighty Zon, the gorgeous hardback of The Stranger Times is available from bookshop.org, as well as places like Waterstones, Foils, Black Wells, Forbidden Planet. Uh, if you're in Ireland, Easton's and Dubray have it. And uh, if you're in America, you can get it with free delivery from blackwells.co.uk. That's blackwells.co.uk, as well as, I think, the book depository. Uh, which is uh, owned by the Mighty Zon as well. And if anyone would like an extra special little treat for themselves to enjoy 2021 in, you can get the special limited edition version with the fancy sprayed edges signed by me, only one of 250 first editions that are available. And for that, you can go to goldsboro.com. That's goldsboro.com. And you can see the lovely fancy version of it there, which I shall be signing in the coming days. Uh, it will also have been near my dog. I don't know if that means anything to any of you, but if you've always wanted to meet my dog, you can't. There's a lockdown, but you can buy a book that's been near him, which is still pretty cool. I mean, he's a very good dog. It will also be available in ebook and audiobook. Uh, in fact, today you should be doing a little meet and greet with the staff of The Stranger Times as I give you a sneak peek of a couple of chapters from the audiobook read by the wonderful narrator Brendan MacDonald. Also, on January the 14th at 8pm Irish slash British time, we'll be having a bit of fun with an online launch party on Facebook. Uh, just follow either the Stranger Times Facebook page or the Queeve McDonald Facebook page. It'll be on both of those and you can get it live or on repeat. Uh, that's 8pm on January the 14th. Just look them up on the Facebook. You know, it'll be there between, I'm guessing, election adverts, things the Russians are trying to make you believe, somebody you're in school with saying stuff that's not true about a virus. You know, the usual stuff. It'll be a nice change of pace. I probably won't mention the virus at all. I mean, 
I, I, promise, I wasn't going to mention the virus. I keep saying the word virus. I feel really bad. Genuinely, by the way, before I do the, the thing, this does remind me of a gig where, if you remember years ago when I was a stand-up comedian, there was the, the terrible tsunami that happened just over Christmas and New Year's, which is obviously not funny. No one's making a joke about that. A very good friend of mine was emceeing a New Year's Eve gig in a big club in Birmingham. And he said something about, he made some very innocent comment. He's a very good MC, normally brilliant comic. He made an innocent comment about a big wave, nothing to do with anything else. And then his face dropped and he went, he's about to bring me on. He was like, oh God, I, did, I didn't I didn't mean the tsunami. Obviously, I wouldn't say that about the tsunami. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't make jokes about the tsunami. That was, I meant something different. And the whole room knew he did, but he was like, couldn't stop explaining it. I was standing at the back waiting to go on to do my 20 minutes of jokey jokey. And I can remember just standing there thinking, for the love of God, Andy, Please stop saying the word tsunami. Um, so, yes, I will not be mentioning that or the, the V word, which, to be fair, that can also mean other things. But I, I, I may be mentioning virgins or vampires, but I won't mention the other V word. There we go. Anyway, this has kind of gone off track. I had a script. What am I doing now? Oh, yeah. Uh, first, let's get this thing back on the tracks. Here's the bloody wonderful James Cook with the Stranger Times News. It has long been noted that most of the dead bodies found in the UK are located by dog walkers. However, researchers at Salford University looking into this phenomenon for the first time have found some shocking results. According to Chief Counter-Upper Rachel Reeker, we were shocked to find out that dogs are responsible for 90% of body finds. We were particularly alarmed to realise that one particular dog, a Labrador called Bobo, has apparently been behind 18 finds in the last four years alone. Now, maybe he is just a dog with a very good sense of smell, or maybe he has a terrible secret. We'd just like to talk to him to find out. Bobo's location is currently unknown, his last owner having mysteriously died when the brakes on his car failed while taking his cat to the vet. Students at a pottery class were left dumbfounded last night when one of them received a visit from her recently deceased husband. Widow Maggie Crimper explains, I was throwing a pot when next thing I knew I could feel my Jimmy's hands on mine, and before I knew it he was giving me a right good swazing. However, Mrs Crimper's joy soon turned to outrage, saying, Next thing I know, Barbara starts making noises. He's only swazing her too. Then he moved on to Carol and Veronica. He even briefly swazed Duncan. He's not that way inclined, but his eyesight was never great. It was like the 1987 Christmas party all over again. I can't wait to die so I can see him again and bloody kill him. I'm James Cook and to find out more about these stories go to thestrangertimes.com. Finally, this week's forecast. In the year 2045, the Earth will go to war with Mars. The red planet won't be inhabited but world president Nicolas Cage will do it as he fancies an easy win to boost confidence. Thank you, James. And now on to not one, but two chapters from the Stranger Times book. But just so we are clear, this is your Christmas and birthday present. I want to start with these chapters as they're a good intro to the Stranger Times family. First off, we'll meet Hannah, who acts our guides the world in a sense that we experience it through her eyes. We meet her when, well, let's just say she's going through a bit of a rough patch. Everything has gone tits up and she's taken dramatic steps to reinvent herself and basically restart her entire life. As an author, writing about someone like that is appealing, I think, because to some extent we've all been there. I think we've all been tempted at some point in our life to do that. And actually following somebody who has is just pretty compelling. So Hannah does, she takes the leap and it makes her a lot of fun to write. 
So in chapter two, we meet here, her, and in chapter three, we meet most of the staff of the Stranger Times, with one very notable exception, but more about him next week. For now, though, here is the delightful Brendan MacDonald reading chapters two and three of the Stranger Times. Take it away, Brendan. Chapter One Hannah glanced around as quickly and discreetly as possible and then threw up in the bin. It had not been a good day. In fact, even though it wasn't yet lunchtime, today stood out as one of the worst days of her life, or it would have, if it wasn't for the fact there had been so many of them recently. Life had become one long stress dream she didn't seem capable of waking up from. In her bag sat Only One Direction, the self-help book by Dr. Arno van Zyl, the South African life coach. The past is unwanted luggage we don't need to carry. She had been clinging to the book like a life raft. The author's warm smile on the front cover had started to feel slightly mocking now. All that matters is the next step. She couldn't look back. She had to keep moving forward. Having said that, she did need to sit down for a second so she could scour her bag for the mint that, please God, would be in there. She perched on a bench beside the bin. She was in a park not far from the centre of Manchester. The sound of kids whooping and hollering in the nearby play area mixed with the wash of ever-present traffic in the background. She shoved her phone into her coat pocket. She was starting to really hate the bloody thing. When she had made the decision to walk away from her old life and not take anything with her, the phone had been one of the few exceptions. She might not want the money or the houses, but she still needed to communicate with the world. Unfortunately, the phone contained social media, and Hannah was unable to stop herself from looking at it. A window back into a world of summers spent in London, and the rest of the year in Dubai. Of wealth of conspicuous consumption. The feature that showed you pictures of what you'd been doing at the same time the previous year was particularly brutal. On the one hand, it reminded her of the empty and soulless vacuum her life had been, but on the other, God, it had been easy, comfortable. Last week she'd heard the pulp song Common People in a shop, and it felt like bursting into tears. There she had been, staring at tins of suspiciously cheap peas in a budget supermarket, wondering how long she could live on them for, when Jarvis Cocker, of all people, decided to put the boot in. She had just come from an interview for her dream job. It had not gone well. She'd bet good money that it would still appear in her dreams, albeit in a nightmare that she would be reliving over and over again. Storn was a range of upmarket Norwegian furniture, exquisitely handcrafted and elegantly minimalist. It had quickly become a must-have for those who could afford it. Hannah loved it. Hannah had furnished two houses with it. Hannah could very probably never look at another piece of Storn furniture again without being violently ill. When she'd seen the job advertised, it had felt like a sign from God that she was going to get through this, that despite what everyone had told her, she was making the right decision. She had plucked up the courage to ring Joyce Carlson amongst the numerous friends from her old life. Joyce was one of the few who had felt like a real friend. Once she'd known her for a while, Hannah had come to realise that, while being part of that life, 
Joyce had a healthy sense of realism that allowed her to simultaneously recognise the ridiculousness of it all. She was also one of the few women in that crowd who had got herself a job, an actual job. Joyce had met the CEO of Storn through her husband and been hired in a marketing role when the company had launched the shop in London. Joyce knew the right people and had thrown the right parties, giving the brand exactly the kind of splashy landing they'd been hoping for. So much so, they'd now opened a second store in Manchester, catering to the Cheshire set, and they were looking for staff. So Hannah had swallowed what little pride she had left and contacted Joyce. The small talk had been as awkward as she had expected it to be. Joyce had expressed solidarity with Hannah while being classy enough not to ask any questions. In any case, Hannah was sure Joyce already knew much of what had happened. The most salacious details had, after all, made the newspapers. Undoubtedly, for the previous three weeks, Hannah's fall from grace would have dominated the gossipy conversations over lunch among the old set. She had been very aware when making the call that she was handing Joyce a tasty morsel to share if she so chose. Oh yes, she rang me. She's looking for a job now. Still, she had needed the help. Once Hannah had raised the subject of the job, Joyce had seen where she was heading immediately and had seemed extremely sincere in her assurances that she would do all she could to assist her. After all, Hannah had been one of her first and most loyal disciples in the cult of Storn. By the end of the call, Hannah had been all but assured that the job would be hers. She had put down the phone, lightheaded with the thought that not only would she soon be able to support herself, but also that she had at least one real friend. The last eleven years might not have been a complete waste. She had gone into the interview with real confidence. I'm really sorry, Miss Willis. I think my assistant must have made a mistake when printing your CV out. Oh? Yes, I've got you down as having read English at Durham University. Right. But you didn't graduate? Um, well, yes, about that. Then there's nothing else on there apart from your hobbies and some charity work. If you give me a moment, I'll just ring her and tell her to print out the full thing. I do apologise. Are you okay for tea, coffee, espresso, cucumber water? Yes, um, yes. Actually, that is all of my CV. Ah, I see. That had been bad, but nothing compared to when the other interviewer had recognised Hannah's name. As she'd fled the storm premises, Hannah had checked her watch. Her first proper interview had lasted 17 excruciating minutes. Sitting on the park bench, she found what she was fairly sure was a tic-tac at the bottom of her bag. Beggars can't be choosers. She popped it in her mouth. As well as the Storn interview, Hannah had another one lined up for today, mainly because she had forgotten to cancel it. The advert on the website had been, well, different. Publication seeks desperate human being with capability to form sentences using the English language. No imbeciles, optimists or Simons need apply. She hadn't been sure it was even a genuine advert, but still, she had sent in her CV regardless. A nice lady called Grace, with an accent somewhere between Mancunian and West African, had called up and offered her an interview. She'd accepted it. 
But then the Storm thing had happened and, well, this one had completely dropped out of her consciousness. On her way into Storm this morning, she had even debated whether to ring Grace and tell her that she couldn't make it, but had decided against it. It was good to have a backup plan. If the last couple of months of Hannah's life had proven anything, it was the importance of having a backup plan. So here she was, sitting in a park in an unfamiliar city, sucking on what she was increasingly less sure was a tic-tac, heading for an interview for a job she knew absolutely nothing about and now desperately needed. She glanced at her watch. Christ, she was late now, too. She pulled her phone back out of her coat pocket. The map showed the blue dot of the location as being behind an old church on the far side of the park. She stood and brushed herself down. As she did so, a homeless guy with an eye patch and a long brown beard that stretched down to his chest wandered up to the bin and looked in it. He wrinkled his nose in disgust and shook his head. I tell you, love, there's some bloody monsters round here. Chapter 2 Hannah rushed around the corner and looked up and down the street. The park lay behind her, there was an all-weather football pitch to her right and a church to her left. The rest of the street was a stretch of wasteland, with some terraced houses at the far end. At the edge of the empty plot of land was a sign indicating that the site was going to be developed into luxury apartments, but the board was so battered and covered in graffiti that it now looked like someone's big idea whose time had passed. Hannah started digging around in her bag for the scrap of paper she had written the address on. Maybe she had typed it into her phone wrong. Excuse me, sweetie, would you mind moving? Hannah immediately started to apologise, although, as she looked around, she couldn't find the source of the voice. She was entirely alone on the street. Up, dear, always look up! Hannah took a step out into the road and did as she was told. The church was red brick with bars on many of the windows. It possessed a sort of shabby, unloved beauty. The pockmarked brickwork climbed to a black slate roof. As Hannah looked further up, she saw a round, unbarred window of multicoloured stained glass. To her untrained eye, it would have been the building's most notable feature, had it not been for the portly man in a tartan three-piece suit who was standing on the roof above it. Oh my God, said Hannah. No, sweetie, I'm definitely not him. The man spoke with a plummy accent like that of a camp Shakespearean actor. Could you be a dear and scooch over a smidge? Hannah realised she was directly below the man and scampered out of his projected flight path. Are you... Are you okay? Sweet of you to ask, although it does demonstrate a frightful inability to assess the situation. Still, though, no need to concern yourself. Off you pop. He cleared his throat and raised his voice to address the world at large. <coughs> Fair thee well, cruel world. You shall have Reginald Fairfax the third as your Plaything no more! Hannah looked up at the man, desperately trying to think of something to say. However, she was beaten to it. Oh no! Please don't do it, Reggie! came a voice with the over-enunciated vowels she was already learning were a signature feature of the Mancunian accent. 
Hannah took a few steps further back and found its source. An East Asian man with an unkempt beard who was leaning out one of the side windows of the church, looking up at the other man. You have so much to live for, he continued. What struck Hannah as odd was the relaxed tone of the second man, as if he were engaged in a half-hearted read-through of a script for which he had little enthusiasm. He seemed considerably more enthusiastic about the large bag of kettle chips he had on the go. No ox, my dearest friend! I shall cast off these mortal chains and free myself from this sullied flesh. I leave you all of my earthly possessions. Oh, great, said Ox, as much to himself as anyone else. A collection of waistcoats and a sink full of washing up you said to be done first thing. What was that? He raised his voice. Nothing. Reggie looked thoroughly put out. And you can talk, leaving the house permanently stinking of Chinese food. In my family, we just call it food, responded Ox. Oh, how lovely. My final moments and you mock me. Bloody typical. Would you calm down? You don't have to make everything into a... Ox stopped as he looked down and noticed Hannah for the first time. Do you mind, love? This is a private conversation. Hannah looked between the two men before pointing at Reggie up on the roof. He... he's going to kill himself. Ox nodded with a mouthful of crisps. Yeah, but almost all the world's major religions believe that death is not the end, so... you know. But... Reggie spoke again. Please, sweet lady, spare yourself this scene. I could not forgive myself if my passing scarred you for life. Yeah, agreed Ox. You're still very much in the splatter zone there, sweetheart. You are such an uncouth beast. I'm just saying, she's got a nice suit on. She might be off to something important. She doesn't want your blood and guts all over her best rags. Reggie shook his head in disgust. Ignore him, but please do be on your way. Hannah looked at him and then at her phone. Even as she spoke, the words coming out of her mouth said to a man standing on a rooftop seemed so surreal. She felt as if she were watching herself from the outside. Well, um, you don't know where the Stranger Times is, do you? Ox laughed. Job interview, is it? He shouted over his shoulder. Grace, have you got someone coming in to be the new Tina? Hannah could hear another voice yelling back but couldn't make out what was said. Yeah, replied Ox. She's currently in Reggie's flight path. Something else was shouted, in a noticeably more forceful tone. All right, all right, how is this my fault? The voice inside snapped for a third time. Okay, relax. Ox looked down at Hannah again. Oddly, he only now seemed worried. You're in the right place, love. Front door is around the corner. He jerked his head in Reggie's direction. Lucky you. We're about to have an opening. You are an utter, utter bastard, Ox, howled Reggie. Ah, oh, what? Am I not allowed to grieve in my own way? You're always telling me what to think. I wasn't. I was merely pointing out that... Hannah looked at the phone in her hand 
and then blurted out, Should I call somebody? For what? asked Ox. Hannah gave an upwards nod in the suicidal man's direction. Ah, don't worry. This situation is under control. Reggie scoffed. That's what you think. He then turned to Hannah. Off you pop, dear. Best of luck in your interview. Believe you me, you are going to need it. Hannah shifted her gaze between the two men. They both looked down at her with impatient expressions. Right. She shoved her phone into her pocket and hurried down the pavement, glancing back a couple of times as she did so, if anything, to double-check she hadn't imagined what had just happened. She rounded the corner to find what must have been the church's original entrance. Patterned into the brickwork of the porch were the words Church of Old Souls. Dangling beneath at a precarious angle was a sign that read The Stranger Times. Scrawled below that were the words This is no longer a church. Please go bother God somewhere else. Sitting on a camping chair beside the door was a young man of about 18, with an expensive-looking camera dangling from around his neck. He was tall and skinny, his gangly frame emphasised further as he was wearing only a t-shirt and jeans. On a day that called for at least three layers, he was two layers too few. Hello! He leapt to his feet so quickly that his thick glasses fell to the ground. Whoops! he said in a cheerful voice. Don't worry, I got him, I got him! He scrabbled about on the ground, knocking over a thermos and a pile of books in the process. Hannah stepped forward and picked up the glasses before the man could crush them. She held them out. Here you go. The young man's hand wafted around in the air until it found Hannah's. Clearly, he was near blind without them. Thank you very much. He sprang to his feet, his fingers holding his glasses in place this time. Hello again. Hannah winced as he snatched the camera from around his neck and took her picture. Hi, said Hannah. There's a man around the corner there, threatening to jump off the building. The young man smiled and nodded. Yes, there is. I noticed that too. Keeping your eyes open is an important part of being a journalist. Speaking of which... He snatched up a notepad from the table beside his chair and started scribbling. What is your name and age? I'm Hannah. Hannah Drinkwater. Crap, I mean Willis. Hannah Willis. Right, he said, furiously scribbling away on his pad. And your age? Well, she tried hard to make the rest of the sentence sound playful in tone. That's a bit rude, isn't it? Is it? Oh God, it it probably is, isn't it? He drew himself up to his full height, smiled and extended his hand. Hello, my name is Simon Brush. Delighted to make your acquaintance. Hannah shook his hand. Up close, she could see that his skin was an unhappy testament to the cruelty of teenage years. He looked old enough to have got over the worst of it, but nobody had told his face. Likewise. Now, he said, withdrawing his hand, what was your age? Hannah stepped back and eyed his T-shirt. The slogan on it read, I work for the Stranger Times. Oh, you work here. Simon shook his head. No, not yet. I am engaging in positive reinforcement. Dress for the job you want, so they say, so, you know. Oh, right, I see. I'm here for an interview, too. I'm not here for an interview, said Simon. I'm not currently allowed to enter the building. To quote Mr. Bancroft, he snatched up another of his notebooks and flicked through it to find what he wanted. 
Under no circumstances is that forlorn, four-eyed freak to be allowed in this building. He is quite the flair for alliteration, doesn't he? Well, yes, but that does seem rather mean. Oh, no. You see, this is like that scene in Doctor Strange when he wants to study at the temple, but they won't let him in, so he sits outside. That's what I'm doing. I think Mr. Bancroft is testing my resolve. I'm showing him my stick to itness my determination. This is my one goal in life, and I'm not going to stop until I achieve it. That's why I'm practising my shorthand. Ah, okay, I see. Belatedly, the wording of the ad came back to her. No imbeciles, optimists, or Simons need apply. Oh dear. I'm doing everything I can to be ready when opportunity strikes. Simon pulled down on the hem of his t-shirt to show more clearly the message emblazoned on it. See the goal, be the goal. Hannah re-read it and then paused, unsure of what to say next. What? asked Simon. Nothing, only it's, well... Hannah realised that on first scan, her eyes had tricked her into seeing what she expected to be there, rather than what was actually there. What? repeated Simon. It's just... Your T-shirt, it's missing an E. No, it's... Simon looked down and read the wording upside down. Hannah smiled awkwardly as he did so, already regretting pointing out the mistake. I work for the stranger Tims. Simon looked crestfallen. Tims? What the... Bloody dyslexia. I've been wearing this for weeks. Why didn't anyone tell me? You've been here for weeks? asked Hannah. Yeah, at least it stopped snowing. That was a rough couple of days. Right, sorry, I I shouldn't have mentioned it. It's not your fault. Simon slapped on a smile even bigger than the one he had worn previously. Every failure is just an opportunity to succeed the next time. That has not been my experience, replied Hannah. What? Never mind, I shall get going. Best of luck with your interview. Hannah smiled at Simon as she moved past him towards the front door. He stood there, giving her two thumbs up like a shivering monument to misplaced optimism. The big wooden doors that opened onto what Hannah assumed was the nave of the church were firmly locked, but a rickety stairway beside them led to an upper level. The walls were damp, the paintwork flaking and faded. The fourth step from the top was broken and Hannah had to hop over it. She stepped through a doorway into the reception area of the Stranger Times, a long, narrow room. At the far end, a short, plump black woman sat behind the reception desk, typing furiously at a PC that still had one of the old, full-bodied monitors. Hannah hadn't seen one of those in a decade. Fold-away metal chairs sat stacked in one corner, and a battered leather sofa that had seen better millennia was pushed up against the wall. The woman looked up and beamed a warm smile. Hello, are you here for the interview? Yes, um, I'm Hannah Drinkwater, I I mean Willis. Hannah glanced at her watch, 12.15. Sorry I'm late. The woman waved a hand in her direction. Oh, don't worry about that. He hasn't stirred yet. I'm Grace, the office manager. She extended her hand. Hannah moved across to shake it. She noticed a couple of framed pictures on the desk, one of Jesus and the other of Philip Schofield. Grace had long painted nails and jangly bracelets around each wrist, 
which gave every movement a musical accompaniment. She had a very warm, reassuring smile. Take a seat. Stella! The last word was screeched with such ferocity that Hannah jumped back involuntarily. Sorry, said Grace. Please take a seat. We'll be right with you. Grace went back to clacking away at her keyboard. Hannah nodded and sat down on the sofa. It was one of those couches you sank into whether you liked it or not, which made it damn near impossible to find a comfortable way of sitting. She moved around, trying to find a dignified compromise, while the leather made embarrassing little parpy noises and her skirt rode up. Tufts of stuffing poked out of one of the holes in the upholstery. Did you have any trouble finding the place? asked Grace cheerfully. Oh no, I... well, a bit. Uh, Actually, um, are you aware there's a man trying to jump off your building? Grace didn't even look up. Well, it is Monday. Right. On her way to the interview at Storm that morning, Hannah had been so nervous she'd walked out in front of a car and been greeted by a screeching of tyres and some furious honking. She was beginning to consider the possibility that she'd died at that moment and everything that had happened since was, in fact, hell. It would explain a lot. On the wall behind the sofa, some front pages of The Stranger Times were displayed in grotty frames. Nessie is the father of my child, hung beside Virgin Mary halts terrorist attack, and Switzerland doesn't exist. Reading these made Hannah realise that she was criminally underprepared for the interview. She knew absolutely nothing about the job she was going for. The Stranger Times appeared to be a newspaper, although the word news was something of a stretch. Hannah jumped as Grace hollered, Stella! again. There came a thump from behind the double doors opposite the sofa, followed by the sound of stomping feet on wooden floorboards. The face of a pretty girl wearing a sour expression and topped with a head of badly dyed green hair popped through the doorway. What are you shouting at me for? Grace didn't even move her head. Because I need you for something. There's no need to shout. If I do not shout, you do not come. The girl sucked her teeth. Treating me like I'm some dog's body, innit? That is exactly what you are, and don't you suck your teeth at me, young lady. What? I can't express myself no more. You want a robot? If it'd clean up its room, then yes. This lady is Miss Drinkwater. Willis, interjected Hannah. Right. The young girl, who Hannah assumed was the hollered-for Stella, gave her an appraising look. She trying to be the new Tina? Speak properly. And yes, she is. She's got an interview with Vincent. Stella shook her head. I'll give her two minutes. Grace stopped typing and glowered at Stella. I did not ask for your opinion. I want you to show her through. I'm just keeping it real. How about you keep it zipped and do what you are asked? Stella rolled her eyes. Grace rolled her eyes. Hannah smiled nervously at them both, now feeling a whole different kind of uncomfortable. Stella opened the door and stepped back. Well, come on then. Hannah stood, quickly brushed down her skirt and followed Stella through the door. Good luck, said Grace. Thank you. What Grace said next was lost under the sound of Stella closing the door behind her with more force than was strictly necessary, but she could have sworn she'd heard the words, you'll need it.
Hannah found herself in a long hallway with stained glass windows down the right-hand side that threw explosions of colour across cardboard boxes piled haphazardly against the opposite wall. She smiled nervously at Stella. My mum and I always argued too. Yeah, cos all black people are related. Grace is my mum, Oprah is my auntie, and Barack Obama is my cousin, yeah? Oh God, I'm sorry, I I didn't mean to... Whatever. Stella stomped down the hallway a few feet and then stopped and turned around. You don't want to keep the boss waiting. Right. Hannah fell into step behind Stella as she carried on. He's a white dude, so he's probably your brother or something. Honestly, I'm... It was just whatever, maybe new Tina. Hannah guessed the girl couldn't be much older than 15. She wore ripped jeans, Doc Martens and the kind of pissed-off body language that could be read from space. Hannah stumbled over a box of browning newspapers which spilled out across the floor. Careful! I is filing those! Sorry, so, um, when did Tina leave? I dunno. Never met her. I've only met the seven or eight people who've tried to be the new Tina. But nobody has lasted long enough for anyone to remember their name. You mean... Stella held up her hand for silence. They had reached the end of the corridor. She stepped to the side and then leaned forward to knock loudly on the door three times. A soft groan issued from inside. Boss, we got someone wants to be the new Tina. No response. Maybe now isn't a good time, said Hannah. It never is, said Stella. Count of three, I'm going to open the door, you run in. My advice, stay low, move fast. What do you... One, two, three! Stella said it as if it were a single word, before reaching across, grabbing the handle and throwing open the door in one swift motion. She leaned back quickly as if she were expecting a torrent of water to come rushing out. Should I... Go, go, go! Hannah moved inside and the door slammed shut behind her. Dawkins is God. A church has been formed in Lancaster based on the premise that well-known atheist Richard Dawkins is really the son of God. High priestess and part-time mobile hairstylist Veronica Clift, 41, says it makes perfect sense. Revelations clearly states that only 144,000 people can fit into heaven and the divine Richard is doing everything in his power to get the numbers of true believers down to prevent overcrowding. Thank you for listening to the Stranger Times podcast. If you've enjoyed it, then please leave a rating wherever you get your pods. It really does help. And the Stranger Times novel by C.K. MacDonald is out on January 14th, 2021, and is available to pre-order right now from all good bookshops and some bad ones. And check out strangertimes.com for more weird news and to sign up to the newsletter, where you can also get yourself a sweet free ebook containing some Stranger Times short stories. This podcast is produced by Rob B at BEE, with Ed Wilson exec producing, and all materials are copyright McFory Inc. Limited. All of the short stories are written by me, CK McDonald, and I also write the news with additional material by Sam Gore, Graham Goring, Ken Johnson, Mick Ferry, Scott Bennett, Andy White, and Juliet Myers. The news is read by James Cook and the music is done by Alan McGuire with John McCullough as musical Sven Galley. Listener.